Well, good morning again, and welcome to St. Paul's Bloor Street. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you send your Holy Spirit upon us now. Overshadow us with your Spirit, that it might be unto us according to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's parable asks us to think about the relationship between debt and community and whether or not we want to be part of a community of debt collectors or debt forgivers. We're talking about debt today because debt is the central crisis in the plot of the parable that Jesus tells in our gospel lesson. It's a parable about debt and what we do with it. But if it's a parable about debt, we also know it's a parable about sin the wrongs that we do to each other and to God, because it comes on the heels of a question put to Jesus by his disciple, Peter. Peter asked, how often should I forgive the sins of a brother or sister? That is a fellow follower of Jesus. And Jesus responds with this parable of forgiveness about debt. So we know what debt is supposed to mean in the parable. Jesus is using debt and its forgiveness or unforgiveness as a metaphor for sin and its forgiveness or unforgiveness. And in telling us a story about debt forgiveness, Jesus is telling us something about sin forgiveness in the kingdom of God. Now, the fact that Jesus uses debt as a metaphor for sin is actually really surprising. And it might not seem surprising to you, because if you're familiar with the Gospels, maybe you've come across this debt-sin image before. Maybe you've heard the translation of the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So maybe all this makes sense. Oh yeah, sin's like a debt. But in the context of the Jewish Bible, the scriptures that Jesus and his followers knew, debt is actually never used as a metaphor for sin. There are two primary images for sin in the Hebrew Bible and Jesus' Bible. The first image is sin is a weight, uh, a load that we carry. And if sin is a burden, then God forgiving you is like a hand from heaven reaching down and lightening your load. And the second main image in the Hebrew Bible is like a heavenly rap sheet, uh, a record of our wrongs. And if sin is like a legal indictment, then God forgiving you is like a judge clearing your record. And there's nothing wrong with either of these images. They're both biblical. We can learn from them. But in both of them, sin is an issue between you and God, and God is at arm's length. But sin is debt. What we see in the parable is different because it doesn't leave God at a distance. Instead, Jesus' metaphor of sin as debt puts us into a relationship, a community, with God and with each other. Because, just like the tango, debt takes two. When there's a debt, there's got to be a creditor and a debtor. There's got to be someone who's given and someone who's taken. And you know this in in your own life. If, If I'm over here and I've got my stuff, and you're over there and you've got your stuff, then we've got nothing in common, and we don't have a community. Common community. See how that goes? We don't have that between us. But if I'm over here with my stuff, and you're over there with your stuff, and you loan me $10 with the understanding that I'll pay it back, well... Now we have $10 in common. We have a $10 community. As in, I have your $10 and you'd like it back someday. Now we have a stake in one another. Debt binds us together that way. And we live in the patience of our unsettled, unsettled accounts. But the king in the parable had run out of patience. There was this king. He was a creditor to his servants. They owed him money. And the king has decided in the story that Jesus tells, for whatever reason, he decided it's decided uh, to settle accounts. His patience has run out. He's calling in his debts. The time of reckoning has come. And it's important to understand the context for debt in which this parable is told. 
Because today, if you can't pay a debt, your life might get miserable, but you're not going to jail. In Jesus' time, it was different. Then there was no real division between person and your property. If you can't pay a debt, your creditor can have you thrown in jail until your family raises the funds. can have you and your family sold into slavery to pay the costs. And it is good and fine that our cultural framework around debt has changed, that our banking has changed. But this ancient concept of debt still holds as a metaphor for sin. That is, the way debt was in Jesus' day is the way that sin was then and is today. Because debt has changed, but sin hasn't. There's no firewall between what you do and who you are. Sin now, like debt then, lays claim to all of you. And laying claim to all of him was precisely what the king does with this servant who can't settle his debt. The man and all he, all he calls his own are offered for sale to balance the debt. Now, it's no surprise that the guy can't pay up because the number here is astronomical. It's just absurd. Jesus isn't concerned with precision in telling the story. He's being hyperbolic. In biblical Greek, 10,000, 10,000 talents, was the highest number you could commonly refer to with a single word. So a modern version might be a trillion. And a talent was a monetary unit that roughly uh, equaled 20 years' wages for a day laborer. So the point is, it's an unpayable debt. 10,000 talents was the equivalent of 200,000 years' wages. It'd take the labor of 5,000 lifetimes to pay it back. So that's why the servant's response when the king calls the debt in is so absurd. He says, have patience with me and I'll I'll pay you everything. Have patience for 5,000 lifetimes? It's, It's not happening. This is the plea of a desperate man. And the king has pity. Except pity doesn't quite get it right. It's a little too superficial. The, the thing the king feels here, it's the same thing that Jesus feels when he stands before the widow who's lost her son or when he sees the beloved of Lazarus mourning him. It's a punch in the gut. It's a spasm of compassion. It's a movement of the spirit. And the king feels this, and the master of that servant canceled the debt and let him go. Let him go. That's really important. Let's pause here to remember what we're really talking about in this parable. We're not talking about monetary debt. We're talking about sin. The parable is a metaphor. It illustrates reality. The story of the king forgiving debts is a story about God forgiving sin. And what does it tell us? Well, first and foremost, it tells us that the king is in a community of sorts with his servant. The community of the creditor and the debtor. The king is still the king. The servant is still the servant. But the king has a stake in the servant. What's that mean for us? It means that God has a stake in the sinner. Why? Because they share a debt. Body and soul. That's the servant's debt. That's the portion of himself, everything, that the king lays claim to. That's the portion of himself, everything, that he goes through life knowing that he owes. And that's the debt that's forgiven simply because he pleads for mercy and his creditor, the king, has compassion. And this brings us to the real point of the parable, in my opinion. The fact that the king, as the creditor, takes a hit. The king absorbs a loss. Out of compassion, for the sake of the servant's suffering, the king takes a loss. Now, because we want to say God's too powerful to be hurt by anything we do, we pull back from the idea of God losing something by forgiving our sin. Fair enough. But I'm reading this parable, and what I read in the parable is that the king who is God takes the pain of not being repaid. 
takes the hit. That's why it's so incredible that Jesus uses debt as a metaphor for sin. Because unlike the other biblical metaphors for sin, debt gives God a stake in forgiving sin. If sin is a weight or a rap sheet, then God can remove it or erase it as he sees fit, but he's not affected by that. But if God's a creditor who forgives, well, that means he takes a loss. Forgiveness costs him. Now, the forgiveness of debt doesn't make him less of a king. It doesn't turn him into a beggar. But it does, it must even on a formal, on a structural, on a technical level, hurt. We're walking around with something that's God's in this metaphor. Something that he wants restored, set right. And when we don't have the capacity to pay him back, and we never will, he forgives us. He takes the loss. He absorbs the pain. He pays the price for the sake of compassion. And the servant walks free, a debtor no more. The parable continues. So the man has forgiven this debt. He's been in the hole for a trillion dollars, and now it's wiped clean. I mean, can you imagine the spring in his step? And he walks out of the king's office, having received this gift, and he runs into a co-worker, another one of the king's staff. We don't know if the second servant owes the king anything. That's not important for the story. What we do know is that the new guy owes the first guy a sum, a hundred denarii, 100 days wages, say $10,000, $15,000. So it's, we're talking about real money here, but it's not astronomical. It's not unimaginable money. And when the first guy sees the second, he grabs him and starts choking him out, saying, where's my money? Where's my money? Psychologically, it's almost unbelievable, which is part of the point of the parable. The idea that someone could be forgiven that kind of debt and then moments later act so violently to collect on a far lesser debt of their own. But of course, that's the point, isn't it? The difference between what the servant has received and what the servant gives. The first guy was called upon to repay an unpayable debt. He fell on his knees, begged for mercy. King forgives the debt. Same guy calls on a second guy to repay a a payable debt. Second guy falls on his knees, begs for mercy. First guy has him thrown in jail. He shows him none of the compassion, none of the mercy that he's just been shown by the king. Now others see the episode. They report to the king, and the king summons the first servant back. He says, I showed you mercy because you asked, and you couldn't show mercy? Consider your debt unforgiven. The debt snaps back into place, and the servant is handed over to the torturers until he can pay it back, which, of course, he never, ever can. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, Jesus says, concluding the parable, if you do not forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Because the point here is that you can't have it both ways. You can't belong to the community of being forgiven by God and collecting on the debts that are owed you. You can't claim God's forgiveness of sin while declining to forgive others. You can't take your pound of flesh from your brother and sister and think that the body and soul that you owe God is wiped clean. Because this is about more than simple fairness. If you, if you claim God's forgiveness for yourself, but you don't forgive others, it's actually theft from God. Think about it. If someone loans you $100 and you loan someone else $10, when you collect the $10, you owe it to the person who loaned you $100. That $10 that you get back isn't really yours because you owe someone else more. And that means that when the servant accepts the king's forgiveness but collects on his own debts, He's enriching himself at the king's expense. Because when the king forgave his servant, the king took the loss, took the hit, took the pain, 
for the sake of the servant's gain. And so for the servant to collect on his own debts while accepting the king's forgiveness, that's in effect to say to the king, I'm going to profit from your impoverishment. So the king handed him over to his torturers to pay his debt in full. And so the heavenly father will do to each one of us if we fail to forgive one another from our hearts. I'm not saying it. Jesus is. It's no coincidence, too, that it's Jesus who introduces debt as a metaphor for sin. That Jesus, God become human, would introduce a metaphor for sin that makes us in community with God. That Jesus, who died for our sins, would introduce a metaphor for sin that shows the price of forgiving sins. The cross is in this parable. It's right there in plain sight. It's the loss that the king suffers when he forgives the servant's debt. Because the debt was a life. A life was what the servant owed, and the cost of forgiveness was thus a life. Jesus dying on the cross is the king taking the hit, absorbing the loss, paying the price of forgiving the servant's debt, and giving him his life back. And because Jesus is the Son of God, the source of all life, the worth of his life is all life, every life. So his debt doesn't just pay the price of the servant's debt, he pays mine and yours. And this helps us maybe come to terms with the harshness of the parable's final words because it shows us the stakes. Let me put a fine point on it. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim God's grace of forgiveness for your sins, but you walk around with unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment in your heart toward anyone, you are the unmerciful servant in this story. Now, I know what you're thinking because I want to think it too. What you're thinking is, but they're wrong and I'm right. Man, I know this script so well. Right? You turn it over and over. You chew it with the, the teeth of your mind. You, you savor the bitterness of it. But the parable shows us that it doesn't matter how right I am and how wrong the other guy is. Because it doesn't tell us. The second servant, the guy who owed the hundred denarii, maybe he was a rotten guy. Maybe the first servant knew that the second servant had squandered the money that he loaned him. He'd, he'd, he'd wasted it on booze and pills. He'd poured it into the slot machines. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter for the, the story. Because no matter how right I am and how wrong the other guy is, in my sin, God is more right toward me and I am more wrong toward God. And Jesus still bled and died to pay my debt. Any unforgiveness in my heart is me walking out of the king's chamber whistling and choking a brother or sister to collect a meager debt that doesn't even really belong to me in the first place because I have owed God so much more. Any self-righteousness in my heart, no matter how wrong the other person is, is me profiting off of Christ's blood shed for me. But forgiveness is hard. So how do you forgive? Look to Jesus. Turn away from the self-righteousness of how right I am, how wrong the other person is. Just turn to his righteousness. Turn your focus from what you're owed to what's been given you. And the comparison will 
make the, make the debts that you're owed just slip away. If you get a news of a, a big raise right before you go meet a friend for a beer, uh, aren't I getting the round in celebration? Because the cost, whatever it is, it doesn't compare to what I'm receiving. Now, if you're not a Christian, maybe this sounds fantastical to you. I mean, maybe you think what you've done, your debts could never be repaid. And maybe you don't think you have debts that need repaying. But I promise you, all the debt that we accumulate in a lifetime of doing wrong to each other, both small and great, God has forgiven that debt on the cross. And the offer is to you to be set free. And set free, let's be honest, not just from the debt that we owe God, but set free from the burden of keeping score with each other. Because it is exhausting to go through life keeping track of how much you're owed. So are we going to require satisfaction from others when we've been forgiven so much? When all the debts owed to us combined wouldn't come close to paying back the one that's been forgiven? Will I refuse to forgive my brother or sister and thereby become a profiteer on the blood of the cross, on the price of Christ's loss? It's written in Scripture that Jesus was to give his life as a ransom for many. Elsewhere it's written, you were bought at a price. And the question this parable puts to us is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because elsewhere it's written, Oh, no one, anyone, that is, don't hold debts amongst each other, except to love. That's what it means to be set free. Our king has shown us mercy beyond imagining. That's good news. Let's share it with each other. Amen.